Today's scripture is from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. And these accounts reveal the healing power of Jesus. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Just then there came a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, who was dying. As he went, the crowd pressed in on him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he replied, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be saved. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. While they were all weeping and wailing for her, they, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he directed them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Much of chapter 8 of Luke's gospel focuses on Jesus' power to heal and to deliver from danger, disease, and even death. Jesus calms a storm on the Sea of Galilee, saving, rescuing the lives of uh, the 12 prior to the text Cindy just read for us. And then Jesus, on the far side, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, heals a man who had been demon-possessed for many long years, restoring him to full health. And then comes the text you just heard. It's unique among all the Gospels because in it two healing stories are interwoven. Or you might say one healing is sandwiched amidst or around which by another. Speaking of healing, lately I've been suffering a number of running related injuries. Running is my uh, preferred exercise uh, method, although like Dale I go to the gym too and, and Occasionally lift some weights. 
although my upper body as a runner has never been developed hardly at all, so uh, I, what I lift is very light. But I have a suggested regimen, uh, exercise regimen for each of you today, I'm sure you'll be thrilled about. Um, I would suggest you start with five pound potato sacks, okay? Got one in each hand, and you simply put your arms out straight, and then try to hold them for a full minute. Okay, so as time goes by, you're, you can graduate and you can get 10-pound sacks and 15-pound sacks and 25-pound sacks. You know, I haven't yet made it, but I'm sure many of you can make 50-pound sacks in both arms and then hold them for a full minute. Next, begin to fill the sacks with some potatoes. So as Jesus returns, to, <laughs> Jesus returns to the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, his fame as a healer has grown tremendously. He's become very famous as a healer, and so people are there to, to see what is going to happen next. And Jairus, a leader of the synagogue, falls at Jesus' feet and pleads with him to come quickly to his home because his only daughter, at the tender age of 12, seems to be dying. She's gravely ill. And his desperate plea reveals his real confidence in Jesus' power to heal. It's a very poignant request. From my experience in parish ministry, uh, I've never seen worse suffering than a parent who loses a child to death. And I don't care the age of the parent. I've seen, especially widows in their 90s, lose children who are in their mid-70s. And yet it's still horrible and life-changing even then. There's something very unnatural and uniquely painful, I think, about a parent being preceded in death by a child. So this is Jairus' one and only daughter. We don't know if he had sons. At age 12 in that culture, she would be officially, as of age 12, a woman, an adult woman, and of marriageable age. Apparently, she's not married. She's still living with her father. But her whole life now is extended out in front of her with such great promise, and yet she seems to be dying of an undiagnosed illness. You can well understand Jairus' desperation. So Jesus agrees to quickly accompany him to his home to restore his daughter to health. And on the way, this huge throng, this huge crowd that has waited for him to cross the sea again is traveling with him. And they press in upon Jesus on the way. And among them is an unnamed woman with an embarrassing health problem. She has suffered for 12 long years with a uterine hemorrhage. Now, God's law in Leviticus would label such a woman ritually unclean. And this means that in practice, as this condition persists, she is no longer allowed to take part in synagogue worship or in temple worship, and anyone she touches, even her own husband, becomes unclean. So she is cut off from her synagogue community, her church family, so to speak, and in certain ways from her own family. And Luke reports, in at least tradition, 
early church tradition says that Luke was a physician. And so it's ironic, he reports, she had spent all she had on physicians. No one could cure her. In our world, uh, this is not a joke, the cost of health care continues to be a very important issue and costs far too much. In a fancy restaurant, a patron started to choke on a bone, and a physician was in the restaurant. He rushed over, performed the Heimlich maneuver, and the bone popped out. The man was rescued. Now his airway clear and his breath returning, the man asked the physician, well, what do I owe you? And the physician replied, I'll settle for a third of what you were willing to pay when you were still choking. Now, the Talmud, an ancient collection of rabbinical teaching, prescribes uh, a number of cures, actually 11 cures for, for vaginal bleeding. Here's one of them. Carry a barley corn which has been plucked out of the dung of a white she-ass. Oh, boy. No doubt this poor woman had tried all 11 of these desperate measures, but nothing helped. She grew only worse. Like Jairus, the woman approached Jesus with deep faith in his power to heal, to restore her to health. And trying to be inconspicuous, she comes up behind him and just touches the fringe of his robe or the hem of his garment. And immediately she senses her hemorrhage has stopped. Jesus also surprisingly stops and says, who touched me? No longer able to stay anonymous, the woman falls down before Jesus like Jairus had before her and admits she was the one who approached him and touched his clothing. Now, why did she want to go unnoticed? Because of the very private nature of her illness? And she may also have feared that if Jesus knew she were ritually unclean, he would want nothing to do with her or that he might require her to speak publicly about her condition and about her healing, which is exactly what happens. Now, why does Jesus take the time to stop and talk with the woman, especially as if like an ambulance on the way to an accident scene, he's in a big hurry. Certainly, Jairus is anxious that Jesus be in a big hurry. His 12-year-old's life is hanging in the balance, but Jesus stops. He wants to focus and strengthen this woman's faith and add a spiritual dimension to her physical restoration. He asks her to tell her story and bear witness to her healing experience, and she does. And finally, Jesus speaks tenderly to her, and though she's probably decades older than Jesus himself, he addresses her literally, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Her faith has brought her into a saving relationship with Jesus so that she experiences God's peace. Now Luke wants the reader to know the woman has been healed physically as well as redeemed spiritually. So this long-suffering woman's timid faith is sufficient to call forth Jesus' healing power. Now she did not want to call attention to herself but she knew Jesus could heal her. Somehow, her faith triumphed over her timidity. When exposed, she spoke openly about Jesus and what he had done for her. Jesus, friends, also calls forth 
our faith and our willingness to bear witness to the healing he has brought to our lives, especially for the universal and dead, deadly spiritual virus the Bible calls sin. Many Presbyterians I know feel very hesitant, though, about speaking about our personal faith experiences with Jesus Christ, especially about coming to faith or what Jesus means to us. Now, what opportunities is God providing you at this point in your life to bear witness to the healing power of Jesus in your own life? And are you willing to make use of those opportunities? Advent, which starts next Sunday, is a perfect time to just to say something innocent to a friend or neighbor who you think is unchurched, simply like, hey, come with me to worship. Or how are you going to celebrate Christmas? On Christmas Eve, you have three services, a five, a seven, and a nine. Three opportunities to invite your unchurched and uh, irreligious friends to join you here. But what I find out is while Presbyterians are super reluctant to speak because mostly we don't want to turn off people to Jesus, right? That's what I hear. I've been hearing that for 41 years now in churches. If we use lots of I messages, like, like when I'm proclaiming universal truth, we're proclaiming our personal religious experience, use lots of I messages and simply honestly express how Jesus in your own words has brought you meaning and purpose and forgiveness and love you're likely to offend no one. On our trip to Israel last March, Dale and I and those with us visited the village of Magdala, thought to be the home of Mary Magdalene. It lies just a few miles south of Capernaum, where Jesus, we know, made his ministry headquarters in Galilee. And, it's, and like Capernaum, it's right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The ruins of the most ornate first century synagogue ever unearthed have been discovered there. Who knows, that might have been the synagogue of which Jairus was a key leader. Now behind the synagogue ruins near the lakeshore is a stunningly beautiful Roman Catholic church, the most stunning church I've ever seen by far. And one feature of that structure, Dale and I and any of us who, who traveled with us could spend an hour telling you, just ooing and aahing about how awesome this, this structure is, but one feature of the structure is a downstairs chapel where the whole wall is an image of this incident. Um, it shows the hemorrhaging woman reaching out to touch Jesus' garment. You can see her finger there. This is the chapel, so the stone floor. It's a Roman church, so that we'd call that a communion table. They call it an altar. And behind it, taking up the whole wall. In other words, picture the whole chancel wall here, this image. You walk in there and you just go, whoa. You're just sort of stunned by it. And the next picture is Dale's own close-up of the same portrait. Can we do that? There, oop. there we go. Perfect. So the woman touching the hem of Jesus' garment. By the way, this is the, the inspiration to Sam Cooke's famous gospel song, I commend to you, Touch the Hem of His Garment. Well, back to our story. Tensions build, as Luke reports, this delay to heal this woman has been very costly. News comes from the home of Jairus that his beloved 12-year-old daughter has died. And the, so it's too late for Jesus to bother coming. The messenger advises, don't trouble the teacher any further. Undeterred, Jesus tells Jairus, do not fear, only believe. 
and she will be saved, meaning her physical deliverance will follow. The faith Jesus calls for is the confidence that God's power and compassion are present in his person, that he's able to deliver Jairus' beloved daughter from death itself. And finally, arriving at Jairus' home, there apparently had been some gap in time because mourners have quickly gathered, and they're weeping and wailing as was the custom. And when Jesus sees them, he says something they don't get at all. Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping, to which they respond with mocking laughter. Certain she's dead. They know what death looks like. For the first time in Luke's gospel, then Jesus singles out Peter, James, and John as sort of these, the inner circle of Jesus' group of 12 and invites them into the room where the 12-year-old lies along with her parents, Jairus and his wife. And he simply then takes the girl by the hand. Notice this, there's no incantation. There are no special words. There's not even a prayer. Jesus simply takes the girl by the hand and says, child, get up. And she does. She's fully restored. And like a good physician, he then sort of prescribes her dietary needs to simply give her something to eat. Her parents are astounded. Jesus not only has authority over disease, but over death itself. And our text ends with Jesus' very strange and curious command not to tell anyone about what had happened. Friends, that is not even possible. The throng immediately outside knows good and well. They've seen the mourners. They've heard the mourners. They know there was a death. And they're going to see the 12-year-old themselves very shortly. There is no way to keep this quiet. Why the request? Simply because excessive interest in Jesus' miraculous healings could detract from his message, his central message about God's kingly reign, the kingdom of God and make Jesus just an interesting curiosity or sideshow or spectacle, something he wants to avoid. Friends, today Christians still seek access to God's healing power through prayer. And I certainly don't claim to understand why God sometimes heals in response to our prayers and sometimes why God doesn't. This very important experiment, perhaps you've heard about it, was back in 1988 when Cardiologist Dr. Randolph Byrd at nearby San Francisco General Hospital took 393 patients in the coronary care unit of a hospital in which he worked, SF General, and randomly assigned half to be prayed for by committed Christians, presumably in the name of Jesus. And to eliminate any possible placebo effect, the patients were not told of the experiment. None of them either in the control group which were prayed for or those which were not specifically prayed for knew of this experiment. None of them knew. And remarkably, here are the results. Boyd found that the control group not prayed for was five times more likely to need antibiotics and three times more likely to develop complications as compared with those heart patients who were prayed for. Very dramatic 
at least encouragement there about the prayer, that, about the power of accessing the power of Jesus, the healer. Now, in our text, notice that both healings we explored are about faith and confidence in Jesus' power to heal. In this case, to heal the physically ill. In this latter episode with, J- with Jairus, he calls forth from him a patient faith. When Jairus fears all is lost, his daughter has been irretrievably taken from him by death itself, Jesus asks for patient trust that even death itself is no barrier to God's healing power. And Jairus, along the way, learns an important lesson, which is something we all need to learn as well. And that is that God, especially God's intervention in healing, does not occur on our time schedule, according to our frame of reference, but according to God's own timing. Friends, how patient is your faith? Perhaps you've prayed for decades for a spouse or a child or a friend to come to faith in Jesus as Messiah, as rescue worker here, as Lord, master, owner, and ruler of life. Or maybe you've prayed for someone in your family or friend or neighbor or co-worker to be healed of some disabling illness which makes life so much more difficult. God, it seems, though, has not heard your desperate pleas. And you wonder. My only word to you are the words Jesus gave Jairus, which he also gives us to encourage us. Do not fear. Do not fear. Only believe. Amen.